deals. And Bonds hits one high. It's a deep. It is out of here. The drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Out of here. It's out of here. It's out of here. Out of here. Outside Baseball with Seth Nevsky and Drew Frank. Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of Outside Baseball. My name is Seth Nevsky and with me once again is my co-host Drew Frank. Drew, how's it going buddy? It's going well. We're into the baseball season officially and it's nice to have games to talk about. Yes, before things go completely off the rails again. (laughs) Cough, cough, Miami Marlins. So today basically with the tiny, tiny sample we are working with, we're going to play a game of new season, who dis? And what this whole game is about is I took basically the first 10 position players and pitchers in war that I did not totally recognize their name because, you know, obviously the last time I was seriously following baseball uh, was about 2016. And we took those names and Drew is going to tell me if they are good, if they might break out this season. And lastly, is it actually important to know their name? So that's what we're working with again. Once again, 10 position players, 10 pitchers. So kind of a similar thing that we did with the uh, where were they then and where are they now episodes that we did with War. So let's just start with number one on my list and number one in the entire season in War, uh, Miguel Rojas of the Miami Marlins. So, you know, (laughs) some bad stuff happening there. But is his name worth knowing? Big picture, yeah, it is worth knowing. Right now, we don't know when they'll be playing again. And him specifically, it was announced that he also has COVID. He's one of the players, so we don't know when we'll see him. But for what he's done so far, obviously the numbers are nice. He's yeah. he's hitting, at the time of recording, 700. Is that sustainable? <laughs> I'll say no, but I'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to check back on this. You're just you a know. hater. <laughs> well um he's he's been around the league for a bit he's 31 years old and has done nothing basically his career leading up to this uh, he, he's been good defensively and even so far this season he's been good defensively in in philadelphia where they started their season and caused all sorts of infection and, and problems where they started their season he had a nice double play where he got all sorts of air jumping off the base leaping over the runner looking good in the field but this is a guy where, sure, we're only talking about 10 at-bats, but it's a guy where he's going to have pitches to hit because no one's pitching around him. You know what I mean? It's not like he's... Because he has COVID. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's because he has no kind of pedigree, if that makes sense. Like, he's not, he's not going to be a world beater. Even with his hot start, he still has an OPS of 671, which is less than impressive. And uh, not a ton to know about Miguel Rojas, I guess. I'd say he's still someone that you should know, maybe because he's good in the field, but he's going to get playing time on this Marlins team because they really don't have too much up the middle in terms of prospects because they've got Jazz Chisholm, who, great name, by the way. 100%. Almost as good as Jace Tengel. (laughs) And... He's not close, I don't think. I think Chisholm needs two two more years. We might see him in 22. So for the time being, Miguel Rojas is going to get a chance to play whenever they get back to it. And yeah, I mean, no one would have tagged him as the 
league's best offensive hitter through the first three or four games, but here we are. Yeah, certainly a fire-hot start that most certainly will not continue, or at least nearly to the same extent that it has been. Next, we go to our first pitcher. When I saw his name, to be fair, it's one of the few names I knew, but not because it was him, but because there was a second baseman from the mid-90s to 2010 (laughs) with the same name. And for whatever reason, I could name one of the Mets teams he's on. I could pretty much name their entire starting nine. Wow. And of course, I'm talking about Luis Castillo, who turns out, like, just a quick glance at, like, his actual Fangraphs page, and he is certainly worth knowing. Certainly. Yeah. But could you kind of go through just the type of pitcher he is? Yeah. On the names that we're going to go through, this is the guy that's most worth knowing. He was in contention to start on opening day. Now they went with Sonny Gray, so he was their number two guy. But he is very much a change-up artist, and he's got the best change-up, I think, in the league. Definitely the best change-up out of any starter that's not named DeGrom, probably. Hmm. And his is, is right up there with his as well, so you could have that argument. But Castillo has to be in that conversation. And... So far, you've got to acknowledge that he was facing a pretty good lineup because very short sample size. He only had one start, as all the starters will get to have. He was up against the Cubs, and that's a lineup that can hit pretty well. I mean, if you catch them on the right day, I mean, Schwarber, when he gets hot, is red hot. Bryant's been good. Rizzo's been off to a great start, especially in terms of his power and home run numbers. So... Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that is fun to watch, a guy I like to watch pitch, because when the changeup is working, it's not going to light up a radar gun, obviously, and not going to have that same sizzle as a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. But I think when the changeup's on and hitters are off balance, it's one of the most fun things to watch. Mm-hmm. And one of the few pitchers on our list uh, with a negative FIP right now. So <laughs> a negative .14 FIP. Which is funny because last year, ERA 340, FIP 370. So this year, you know, ERA 150, FIP negative (laughs) 0.14. Yeah, six innings, no home runs allowed, just the one walk. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. A good start, we'll say. The the 11 strikeouts in six innings is hard to complain about, especially when uh, you pair that with just one earned run. Yeah, and next on the list is Brandon Lowe. So, once again, uh, made his... MLB debut on, in 2018, so you know I, I never really heard this guy's name, but is he a guy worth knowing? Super quick, it is Lau. Oh my god, that's disgusting. <laughs> well, and they have a, he has a teammate named Nate. First name Nate, last name spelled the same way, but he pronounces it low. Even though it, they both have the E on the end, they both... Whatever, two, two different rays. Uh, I guess that helps with distinguishing them to some extent. But yeah, he is uh, he is good, and he has feasted off of the Jays in uh, in their series. He was very strong. Leads the league with two triples, so that may be a factor why he's up here. He hasn't left the yard yet, but he does have five extra base hits in only 17 at-bats, so impressive numbers. He was a candidate for Rookie of the Year last year, and he wasn't going to win it over Jordan Alvarez, of course. And he only trailed John Means as the other Rookie of the Year candidate in the American League. But other than that, he was better than a guy like Vlad Guerrero or uh, any of the other candidates there, better than Aloy Jimenez. So he is a guy with upside, and this is only his age 25 season. So 
you know, anyone in this raised lineup isn't necessarily the flashiest name at the plate. Even in, uh, the guy I just mentioned, Jordan Alvarez, is going to have more style and more flair leaving the yard with regularity. But Brandon Lau is flexible. A guy that can play around the infield, can play a little bit of the corner outfield, just like <laughs> most of these Rays players can. Uh, slot him in at first base. You know, he's, he moves around the lineup, moves around the field. And I would say this is someone you should know just because... The Rays are going to be relying on him moving forward as one of their many moving pieces all around their team. And he's under team control through 2026, so he won't be leaving the American League East for quite some time. Yeah, so I can't, you know, I'm not sure how this podcast is going to go just solely based on I screwed up his last name. And, uh, you know, there are some last names or really just full names for pitchers that I'm just dreading reading because I know I, I I will do something wrong most likely. But this is like this is a sneaky one because yes. if you've got a long last name that's like twelve letters, you go into it prepared to tackle the challenge. Uh-huh. Lau kind of flies under the radar. Yeah, and it's it's like everyone else's name low. It's like it's like the Shapiro Shapiro thing. Where it's like, everyone else is Shapiro. Why are you Shapiro? When did that occur? Yeah. But hey, my last name's kind of weird because uh, this might be way too much of a tangent. But it comes from Kwasniewski. Right. And most people with the Nevsky end, they did N-E-V-S-K-Y, which makes more sense. But for whatever reason, my great-grandfather moving from Poland decided to make it uh, make it an F. Yeah. There you go. Uh-huh. So it's rare, is what you're saying. Oh, it's rare. Yes. <laughs> quite so next we go to speaking of last names i'm gonna say just uh based on other people with this last name not the best (laughs) dylan bundy the second pitcher on my list Uh, is he worth knowing this is a tough one because i'll actually say yes but not in the same category as the last couple definitely nowhere near the same type of pitcher as luis castillo is but uh his teammate andrelton simmons after his start said that he had a very Greg Maddox-like start, which (laughs) is an inner circle Hall of Famer, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. So (laughs) a little bit of a compliment there. Uh, Bundy was taken in 2011, I believe, right near the top of the first round. I think that was the same draft as Garrett Cole. So if you look at where Cole is versus where Bundy is right now, that might tell you a little bit about how he fell off as a prospect. And he was drafted by the Orioles, and I know you said you recognize some names. Is this a guy that at least kind of rings a bell? He certainly rang a bell, but, you know, I, I couldn't tell you much about him or how he is as a pitcher. Right. Yeah, and uh, so he, he he's a fastball, curveball guy, and he does throw a changeup and a slider, I believe, but really he needs that curveball to be working for him to be successful, and... Could never get it with the Orioles. He was hurt, or when he did get a chance, he was just plain unsuccessful. There was 2018 where he led the American League in losses with an 8 and 16 record, and also gave up the most home runs in the league, surrendering 41 in just 31 games. So, not a great look from him. He's in his first season outside of Baltimore. And what you're seeing that puts him in the top 10 was a very strong start for his new team, the Angels, 
where it was against Oakland, and again, a lineup that can hit when they're good. I mean, Oakland, very talented lineup, but he kept them to just three hits and one run. So, so far, so good, but not a guy that I'm banking on along the way, and not a guy that I'm going to fault you for being unfamiliar with. All right, perfectly fair. Next, our third position player, Colin Moran. And thankfully, I did not mispronounce that one as Morin, because before this call, you said his name, and I remembered it. (laughs) So, thoughts on Moran? So, he is another guy kind of like Rojas that hasn't necessarily been too great of a player. Last year, we saw him hit 277, kind of around league average, I think it's safe to say. Yeah, actually, I'm looking at his baseball reference. You've got a 97 OPS plus in 2019 and a 105 in 2018. With 100 being perfectly league average, it's safe to say he is pretty middle of the pack offensively. Yeah. But a guy that's going to get all sorts of playtime in Pittsburgh. So in a 60-game season, a lot of the top players in the league are just going to be guys that can get those counting stats up as a result of having tons of plate appearances at their disposal. And Colin Moran's another former first-round pick that will be guaranteed at-bats. So I'd say there's probably not many people on this Pittsburgh team that are worth knowing when you get outside of the Josh Bells. But another guy that's, again, not really going to blame you for being unfamiliar The Jays went out and they signed his brother, a lefty reliever, Brian Moran, who picked up, I believe, a save in Tampa, or at the very least, uh, a hold. So he's got that family connection in the majors, and yeah, like I said, he's going to have all sorts of opportunities to keep it up. Whether or not he'll be able to, I'm skeptical, but hey, he'll have the chance to at least prove himself, I'll say. Yeah, and looking at the Fangraphs numbers, 2018, a 102 WRC+. But still a negative offensive player because negative four base running. So, you know, <laughs> huh. just look at the numbers. I guess that's certainly something he needs to work on. Yeah, it's kind of tough. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, three three career steal attempts, zero stolen bases. <laughs> uh, that's a factor there for sure. Yeah. Next, we head to our third pitcher. One of the names that I was dreading. Dinelson Lamette? Is that even close? It's Denelson. Ah. So, and Lamette's fine. What you got. Okay. But it's it's Nelson with a little unstressed pre- prefix there. Right, like a, a DeMar or DeMarcus Lamarcus. Yeah. A name like that, kind of. Yeah. All right, so yeah, Lamette, uh, is he a pitcher worth knowing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. He's a guy that has been hurt through a lot of his career, unfortunately, and we've only seen him, despite debuting four years ago, we've only seen him throw 190 innings as a starting pitcher, which really not that many over four seasons. And the bulk of them came way back in 2017. These guys got a very sharp fastball and a nice wipeout slider. A little bit of deception in his delivery, too. It's definitely straying from the normal. But what makes him interesting is just the staff that he's working on. Where, as a San Diego Padre, a team that is four and one, by the way, their yeah. their first four and one start since 1997. Tingler's going for it. Tingler's got it working. Yeah, mm-hmm. he sure does. And uh, this is a guy that's if he steps up, that's huge because one of their biggest problems is their pitching, and they've got a really rock solid bullpen. It's just about getting to the bullpen, and if he can keep up 
even like a three nine, a four two ERA, that'll be that'll be all the they're they're looking for from him. So right now he's got a one eighty ERA from surrendering just one run in five innings, which they'll take certainly. But yeah, I mean he's talented. Like I say, he's got the he's got the heat and he's got the the breaking ball to be effective in the league. And it's just about whether he'll be able to stay healthy and and succeed in those chances because in the past he hasn't been able to at all. All right, and now we head to our fourth position player, Kyle Lewis. Now, are you going to tell me that there's some sort of pronunciation there that I got wrong, or <laughs> no? You're you're good, nice and simple. Yeah, that one was safe enough. Three syllables got out of the way. <laughs> but yeah, is Mr. Lewis worth knowing? And just looking at wow, just looking at their fan graphs, a lot of the guys we've talked about were very high draft choices. Yeah, and Lewis is no different. Eleventh overall in 2016, and he was one of their absolute top prospects. He actually saw some time towards the end of last year he came up in September or late August but it was towards the last few weeks of the season that he really got hitting and he ended up finishing with six home runs in just 18 games played which very strong for a guy that in his age 23 season seeing major league pitching for the absolute first time you know that's that's just completely impressive finished with an OPS plus of 131 so uh, a guy that can hit and this is his first chance. He's got a starting job as, I believe, the right fielder or left fielder, but I think he's in right for the Mariners. And we'll see what he can do. So far, so good. He's already hit two home runs, and he's going to have the chance. It's just whether he'll be able to keep a grip on Major League pitching before they start to figure him out. Because we saw Aristides Aquino as an example of a guy who came up last year, hit a ton of home runs, and then people realized, hey, maybe he's not so good on the inside breaking balls. And then he ended up getting sent down to AAA despite um, hitting a ton of home runs early on. The pitchers figured him out. So already we've seen Kyle Lewis strike out nine times in 19 at-bats, which is extremely high, tied for the league lead in strikeouts as of recording. But it's just going to be a battle here between him, his ability to adapt and the opposing pitcher's ability to figure him out. By the way, looking at the fielding numbers, he's actually played in center field exclusively oh, this season. Oh, there you go. Uh-huh. And I don't just looking at the numbers, and obviously you have a better understanding of this stuff than I do, but just looking at it, uh, in 2019 in AA, he had a 109 WRC+. In the majors, that was... 127 in 18 games, but he played most of the season in double A and a 109 there. In double A in 2018, that was 87. In high A in 2018, it was 94. High A in 2017, 96. And then, you know, 2016, low A, 152. And 2017, rookie ball, 113. So I, I, you know, obviously, once again, you have a better understanding than I do. But it doesn't look like he's that great of a hitter, like straight up. So. And you mentioned, obviously, the strikeout numbers. So I guess quick enough to play center field. I'm not sure if he's a speed demon or not, but I'm skeptical of his heading. Well, I I think, I mean, if you listen to one of our previous episodes, we had a discussion talking about Cody Bellinger, Mm -hmm. a guy that didn't kill the world in double A, got called up, made his major league debut because of injury, but might not have had a chance otherwise because his double A numbers weren't all that impressive. I think that was our... Looking backward five years episode. Mm-hmm. 
And so, hey, here's potentially another guy. And whether he'll be able to hang at the major league level will be a factor here. I guess the way to put it is, since he's a Mariner and not a Dodger, he gets this opportunity to prove himself against Major League Pitching and and expedite his career. Mm -hmm. If he was a Dodger, he's not forcing his way up with with those numbers you mentioned in the minor leagues. And so now he's been given the opportunity because his team is horrendously bad, and we'll see where he goes with it. Yeah, and you know, the the Bellinger comp, obviously, that's a very, very best-case scenario. But hey, just looking at size. of course. No, no, but I'm saying just looking at size, like... 64210 from Kyle Lewis and Bellinger yeah. 64205 I believe. He's not a speed demon just looking at the numbers. Never really a guy who stole a bunch of bases. But yeah, 65th percentile sprint speed, so mm-hmm. above average but still slower than a Bellinger type. Yeah, so maybe maybe it works out. I didn't mean to get all that pessimistic, but I I just noticed the uh the minor yeah, league that's a good numbers. Point. So now we head to the fourth pitcher Brady Singer. So I I've heard of this guy, I think. But could you kind of, you know, let me in as to who this guy really is? Well, another first rounder. (laughs) And uh, this time it's a pitcher who is a very strong sinker bowler. And so he's going to be working at keeping the ball in the park. And he plays in Kaufman, which is a very big outfield. And it's going to help him do that. So for him, it kind of seems like he's set up nicely, a a big right-hander, 6'5", 210, and this is his first real season. I I don't think he's seen Major League time. If he has before, it was just as a September call-up, but he is getting a chance in 2020, a guy that I'm kind of surprised made the team, not because of lack of skill, but because of the classic service time manipulation that we see everywhere in every team all throughout the league. Because this is not a competitive Royals team, and that's that's important to understand. So having a guy like Singer up means, hey, the fans have something to look at, someone to look forward to. And right now, maybe he's not going to win the Cy Young, but rookie of the year candidate if something goes wrong with Luis Robert and... A guy that you should definitely know moving forward as potentially the next big guy for this Royals team. Yeah, and I'm just, you know, maybe I'm putting too much faith into the minor league numbers here, but in 2019, he did great in high A and double A, so maybe that carries over. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, it's not my doubt in him that what led to my comment him not being major league ready it's my yeah. doubt in the front offices of of letting major league exactly. ready guys play <laughs> and that dodgers comp was actually perfect for lewis being that they kept lux down yeah yeah uh-huh and even even singer like he wouldn't crack that rotation either right so yeah now we go back to the position players and we are at number five david fletcher who his debut in the majors was two years after my sort of sabbatical from baseball so I guess there's no reason for me to know him, but, you know, just looking at the numbers, last year he was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and he is an absolute star in the field. He is very good defensively. He can play third, second, short, and I think he's played a little bit of left, but you'll really see him shine on the infield. And he, offensively, not the power guy, but contact like crazy. He's a guy that can hit around at above the 300 mark, and... Let me read to you the li- the Angels lineup. Fletcher, Trout, Rendon, Justin Upton, Shohei Otani, Albert Pujols are the top six. 
And it's still strong beneath that with guys like Listella and a few other players. But Fletcher, right atop that lineup with all sorts of power behind him, where this is a guy that all he has to do is, is poke singles. And he's kind of an old school hitter, you know, does that no batting gloves look, bit of a slash swing, contact based. And this is definitely a guy you should know just because he is kind of a little underrated in a lot of baseball circles and uh, a very strong player for this Angels team that already has a strong lineup to the point where he almost gets kind of overlooked here. Yeah, and, you know, the Angels have have been one of the weirder teams than, you know, I guess the previous few years just because technically what they put on the field is, is decent, the rotation, as we spoke of in, I believe, the first or second episode hasn't been the greatest even even today we're talking about dylan bundy talked about how this is a rotation almost mostly out of reclamation projects and bundy's no mm-hmm. exception but if all things go well hopefully you're hoping this lineup can can pull through and, and fletcher's a guy look at it right now i mean he's 10 for 18 leads the major leagues with 10 hits so a guy that can surprise some people and a guy with with some serious upside as only a 26 year old Mm-hmm. And looking at the numbers, our fifth pitcher doesn't look like he's quite at Castillo level, but I, I should probably know this guy because he's had a decent MLB career so far. Once again, I'm sorry if I screw up his name. German Marquez? Herman. Ah. Just like uh, the G is an H, Herman Marquez. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a bad screw up. My bad, Herman. Eh. But yeah, it's two years before this of at least 3.3 WAR, 4.1 and 3.4 in 2018 and 2019, respectively. Looks like a decent K guy as well. And, you know, and he's one of the better pitchers this year, I guess, despite a worse K per nine than previously. Sorry, not a worse K per nine, a worse K per nine and walks per nine, as in like 4.76 walks per nine it is at the current moment with one game. But uh, yeah, it seems like Marquez is worth knowing. But is this real? You mentioned all those numbers. You didn't even shout out his silver slugger in 2018. (laughs) 18 for 60 at the plate. How about that? Ooh, beautiful stuff. Yeah, I didn't didn't click on the batting thing (laughs) for fan graphs. You won't have to anymore, I guess, with the universal DH. Yeah. Anyways, no, um... It's definitely a guy that you should be aware of, I guess, because his 2018 was very strong. On top of that silver slugger, he actually pitched quite well, believe it or not, as a pitcher. That was his main area of focus. And he posted a sub-4 ERA despite being a member of the Colorado Rockies, which is always impressive. Did it in his age 23 season, and as you alluded to, racked up all kinds of strikeouts. And a a guy that's got great stuff, Last year, it was just the command went right out the window. And a lot of people that were in on this guy, kind of not so much. And it wasn't just command in the sense of, man, this guy's walking more people. Because his walk rate actually went down. It was just Meatball City. And his ERA jumped a full notch from 3.8 to 4.8. And that's a pretty big difference. Mm -hmm. He's playing on a team that isn't necessarily the best for defensiveness defensive metrics I guess would be the best way to say it they've got very strong infielders and that can't be denied Arenado and Story two very prolific defenders but Marquez with his straight fastball he's not going to induce too many ground balls and he's almost more of a fly ball pitcher when things aren't working well because I when everything's running for him ideally he's a strikeout machine 
But if things start slipping and he's allowing a lot of fly balls, Colorado is an extremely dangerous place to be doing that. So I'm not confident that this sub-2 ERA will keep up. But if you're talking in a fantasy baseball context, a guy that's good for a night or two and can rack up a ton of points anytime he heads to the mound, he's got that upside. But to be banking on as the ace of your rotation, not so sure about that. Uh, yeah, and our next hitter, another high draft pick. I guess these are a lot of these guys, maybe, you know, they try to get a hot start to justify them being drafted as high as they are. But who knows, maybe that's dipping way too much into the psychology of this whole thing. <laughs> but uh, once again, another easy name, and I applaud him for this, J.P. Crawford. Maybe yeah, if his shout in- out to that. Uh-huh, maybe if his, in- oh, no, his initials are still, e- I was saying, like, maybe, you know, the J.P., if those were, you know, expanded on, I'd screw up. But no, John and Paul, so... There you go. Another easy name for the guy trying to get back into baseball. Uh, maybe I'm harping a bit too much on this. But looking at his stats, there, there's really no reason why I should have known about him previously. Just because he's been you know up and down from the majors and hasn't really made an actual jump coming to the majors. But his minor league stats look pretty good for sure. So, you know, maybe he'll be something. Yeah, uh, he was he was traded for Gene Segura, so that might be where you might have heard him from because that was a pretty big trade. He ended up going to the Mar uh, to the Mariners in exchange. A guy kind of like Bundy, sort of, where he was a first round pick. I thought he went first overall, but he actually went in the middle of the first round. But still a first rounder, and just couldn't quite couldn't quite make it happen. I guess is the way to say. It. Couldn't quite hit. I guess even simply, even to say it even simpler. And it's just so far he has been hitting. I'm not sure if uh, it's worth putting any chips on him to keep it up. I mean, a career 224 hitter, that's about all you got to know. He is pretty good in the field, and that's you got to give him credit for that. He had an insane play with the Marlins. One of the, I said Marlins twice now. An insane play with the Mariners. I'm sorry, Marlins are all in the news right now. They're taking over my headspace a little bit. The other aquatic base thing. <laughs> yeah. I guess you could say the same for the Rays. Right. And I guess there's a couple of them. But uh, the, the other M team, I guess, at the very least. Mm-hmm. And there was this insane highlight where he makes this great play barehanded, throws an insanely strong throw from short. So... If you're going to be a, a hitter that doesn't hit too much but plays good defense, shortstop is the place to do it. And they'll bank on his upside in 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 Seattle. He's only, you know, in his age 25 season, and he has that first-round pedigree. And we already talked about when you're talking about Lewis. They don't really have much going for them yeah. to the extent where he'll get a chance and maybe he'll be able to do something with it. But other than that, not a guy you, you really should be too, feeling too sorry about not knowing, I'd say. I don't know. I mean, like, he, he, you said he's pretty good in the field, and that's, you know, sustained in the few opportunities he's gotten in the majors. And looking at his last three years in AAA, I mean, he's at least a solid hitter for those where it's 114 WRC plus, 114, and 121. So, you know, maybe he will be a decent enough hitter in the majors. I could see this guy as a starter. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason he was picked in the first round as well. Mm-hmm. It's just so far it hasn't happened. So far there hasn't really been much indication that it's going to happen. You'll get the chance, though. And for a lot of people, that's that's really all you need. Mm-hmm. And now we go to our sixth pitcher. And probably one of the first guys who was not a high draft pick, 16th round pick 20. He's also probably one of the older guys on this list, if I had to guess. 
at age 31. And we're talking about Chris Bassett, who last year I guess was decent looking at his numbers. 381 ERA, slightly worse FIP, but that's still, you know, a, a rotation starter. Right. So is this guy worth knowing? Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's part of the staff that for Oakland's, They've had a strong bullpen for a few years now, but the rotation has been a question mark. And they lost Lazaro to COVID earlier on, so he missed a lot of training camp. But he's back, and he's pitching in relief, but he's not stretched out. And that means the rotation's missing a guy. Then A.J. Puck, who was a top prospect, supposed to make the team, got hurt. I believe it was either shoulder or elbow, but either way, he's out for a few weeks. And Bassett's a guy that, like you said, his, his numbers have been strong throughout his career. He's got a career A uh, below 3.8. And so far, we've only seen him pitch four innings in 2020. Didn't allow a run, though, so four strong innings. And the A's team might have a bit of a window to be competitive before they start to lose their stars. And Matt Chapman and Matt Olson are guys that they probably won't be able to afford to retain. I'm not sure if we're talking Josh Donaldson-type players or Barry Zito-type players, but guys, Jason Giambi, guys that Oakland historically hasn't kept around. And in 2020, when you've gotten the shortened season, you've got things a little different. A lot of people are predicting we might see an outsider take the Major League crown this year instead of a Dodgers or a Yankees. It could be the A's, but they'll need something from their starters, whether it's Bassett or Manaya or someone else stepping up. And any of these guys could. There's the opportunity there for them if they can, I think. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess he is worth knowing. That's it. <laughs> uh-huh. And sorry, I was just a bit preoccupied with the Crawford play you showed me, which is just insane. So if anyone can, you should probably YouTube that and watch that for 13 seconds if you haven't already. <laughs> Yeah, I had said it was a barehanded play. It's not actually barehanded. He just has this crazy shift of his weight to get a throw off while he's falling over, and it's it's insane. From way deep in the hole, too. Uh-huh. And this is how uh, poetic our show is, moving from athletic to athletic, our seventh hitter, Ooh. Ramon Laureano. Yeah, you wow. hear that? Another round 16 pick. So, you know, we were hitting them with, you know, first round picks before, and now it's a round 16 pick. And he's a good player. Like, looking at the numbers, I had no idea who this guy was because in 2016, he ended the year in double-A where he was smashing it. But still, I didn't really, you know, know him. In about a full season in two years, he had put up six war. That's pretty good. And this year, coming in, you know, 0.4, which really means nothing in five games, but very good numbers. So is this a hot young star or... Will he just be a good player, you know, sustained? No, he is a good player. He is a solid starter. And he's a guy that's similar to Fletcher when we talked about it, not just because of his position being a hitter in the National American League West. He is an insane outfielder with the strongest arm of, I think, any player in baseball right now. Any, any hitter in baseball. You could say, I don't know if Chapman, whoever you think wins that. But this is Cespedes-type outfielding power, and not just because he wears the A's cap. He had this crazy throw last year where he catches a ball way in the outfield, and the hit the runner on first didn't think it would be caught, so he's running around, I believe this was in Angel Stadium, and he makes the catch on the warning track, then throws 331 feet to first base without bouncing it 
all the way a laser from the warning track to first base. No bounce, no nothing for a double play. A guy that's great in the field. He, not just his arm, his glove is very strong and the defensive numbers like him. So if he can do anything with the bat, he's going to be in the lineup. But he's been good with the bat too. He last year had an OPS plus of 129. Had the same mark in 2018 as he, he didn't play a full season, but the same contributions at the plate. And another guy that flies under the radar, but the sabermetrics and the advanced stats all love him because he's so good in the field and he's well above average at the plate that he's just going to give you pretty much everything you can ask for in a center fielder. Yeah, I mean, I like obviously... Uh, I'm not the most educated in all this stuff, but I, I, I see this guy's a good player and I look forward to hopefully following, you know, what has to come of it because I feel like you don't have to preface everything you say with that. I mean, that's fair, but it's like, then I fuck up and like colossally. And then, you know, I figure like the three people watching the show are like, no idiot. So I, I'm just trying to restate. I don't know if you're giving yourself enough credit is all I'll say. Well, thank you, sir. I guess, you know, I got to <laughs> stop with this self-deprecation. <laughs> so, yeah, let's hit up the seventh pitcher, Dustin May. Once again, three-syllable name. I'm killing it on those. Nice one. Uh-huh. Uh, outside of the Lao thing. <laughs> but, yeah, Dustin May, L.A. Dodger. 22 years old round three so you know not high not not as low as some other guys uh, is this dude worth knowing yes certainly uh, when i when i said luis casillo is probably the one you got to know the most dustin may was my other thought because he's one of the top pitchers i think for the next decade i think for the 2020s Dustin May will be one of the strongest pitchers in baseball because he made his Major League debut on opening day in Dodger Stadium. He filled in for Clayton Kershaw. We probably wouldn't be having this discussion if Clayton Kershaw didn't get hurt because May wasn't expected to make the team, but he pitched really well against the Giants, and he's got Kershaw's spot in the rotation until at least Kershaw comes back. He's going tonight, I believe, against... Oh, he's going tonight against the Astros. That's right, so... If you're listening to this on Thursday, then maybe he had an absolute dud of a game and he's vaulted himself right out of this top 10 pitcher in baseball stuff we're talking about. But so far, he, he's really good. And, and what he does is he sinks and cuts the ball so effectively. Like he almost is almost like um, like a Johnny Cueto type. Maybe that's a bad comparison. But he, he sinks like he puts so much movement on the ball and he still throws it at 99 or 100 which is absurd to think about. I guess Zach Britton is almost a, a decent comparison. Obviously, Britton couldn't get it working when he was a starter. But Dustin May, starting pitcher, we saw him pitch not the longest outing in his first start because, again, he's a guy that wasn't even expected to be on the roster. But uh, a guy that you said he's only 22, he's coming up with a lot of prospect upside, and just with how hard he throws and how effective that first pitch is, that fastball is, he, uh, he could be in the league for quite some time. Yeah, all right. So uh, I'm looking forward to watching him. And yeah, I mean, the, the tiny sample of him in the majors has looked pretty good so far. And, you know, 22 years old, very, very young, uh, a lot of room to grow, I guess, but Looking at the numbers, yeah. he, you know, has never had an ERA at any level below 3.9. And that was in rookie ball when he had that, sorry, rookie 
ball and then a ball in his, you know, 2016, 2017 years when he had, you know, the near 3.9 stuff. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to watching him in the future. And now we head to Hanser, Alberto. Yep. All right. Yeah. Hanser, Alberto, who in 2019, just looking at the numbers, War at 1.9, so not great. It looks like he is a good defensive player and a bad offensive player. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, he's not He's not overly great at the plates in his career, but he's a guy that the Orioles are taking a flyer on, and there's a bunch of guys the Orioles are taking a flyer on that one of them is probably going to maybe at least be something they can get something out of. And as a 27-year-old, they acquired him to do exactly that play get some at bats Rio Ruiz is another guy a couple other catchers maybe in the same boat just a guy that's gonna be in the field get starts almost every day try and work up enough trade value that a team will want him and so far I mean he's only had 12 at bats but he's hit successfully in six of them so not much here not a guy that you need to know yet but if you were to string together a dozen more pretty good games, then you could probably see him shipped to maybe a contender, maybe a, as a bench bat somewhere, maybe as a bench glove somewhere even, depending on how he, he ends up showing in 2020. And uh, more of a rental type thing that the Orioles are, are more so just grooming him for a contender than anything else. Yeah, and to be clear, despite being below average on offense last season what is interesting is he did hit 305 in a bunch of at bats so you know maybe he can get a higher walk rate or start getting a bit more power to him and just you know become a better offensive player which would help out for sure yeah the one the the problem with that is he doesn't really walk all that much at all and so even though he did hit 305 his on base percentage was still just at below 330 which is yeah. not a big enough gap for a major leaguer. And he's already gained one walk so far in, in just 14 plate appearances. Maybe he's on track to have a bit better approach. Maybe he spent all his quarantine, you know, hitting those batting cages, figuring out some bit more discipline. But yeah, he's got the bat-to-ball skill, as you mentioned, hitting 305. It's just about refining that a little bit and either adding the power, adding the discipline, or reducing some of the chase. Uh-huh, and we have number eight now for the pitchers, a guy who I've heard before, but I'm pretty sure it's just because it's a good name, so I, I retained it better than some others, uh, Spencer <laughs> Turnbull. So looking at the numbers once again, 2.9 war last year as a pitcher, 4.6 ERA, 4 FIP, so I guess just so you know, last year was a typical rotation starter, like not a top-of-the-end guy, but a guy deservedly in the rotation. Yeah, and I mean, I would say that's fair. Like, uh, probably around replacement level guy. Unfortunately, his three and seventeen record doesn't reflect oh, that. <laughs> but how much of that is playing for like the below three hundred Tigers? Yeah, that's that's almost entirely what it is. He's good at keeping the ball in the park, which is very important in what the game has evolved to. You see him post uh, 0.8 home run per nine. He hasn't allowed one yet this season, of course. He has only pitched five innings. So don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. But I don't know. The one thing I would say about him is he's part of a rotation similar to what we said about the Orioles lineup, where there's going to be some guys that are going to get opportunities. 
and he's one of them. Your boy Daniel Norris is another one. We we heard about your van adventures with him in a previous episode. Man with a van, I believe that's what I called it. I could be wrong. Yep. <laughs> it was something like that. Matt Boyd's another example. Just guys that if they can perform then you could see them on another team. And there's all sorts of needs for starting pitchers among contenders. The Braves just DFA'd a guy in their rotation. The Astros just lost Verlander. The Rangers just lost Kluber. The Cardinals just lost uh, Miles Michaelis. There's so many guys that have gone down that need replacements. And we see Spencer Turnbull right now as a Tiger in his age 27 season. If he strings together two or three more starts, we could see him as one of the earliest trade pieces. And last year, the ERA close to five. Don't know how much demand there is for him right now, but the tools are there. He limits home runs. He keeps the ball around the strike zone. He doesn't walk a ton of guys. Last year, he saw a little uptick in walks, and in his first appearance against the Reds, he walked four guys, but for the most part, it hasn't been too big a problem. If he can just keep the fundamentals where they need to be, could be a, could be a guy that's on a contender by the end of the year. All right, great, and I feel like I need to preface this now that we head to our next guy, where I looked at these, A, I looked at these last night, which was Tuesday night, because we record this on Wednesday. So there might be a difference in terms of, you know, where people land on war in such a tiny sample size one day to the next. And also, once again, these are not top 10 in war for pitchers and position players. It's top 10 that I, you know, I was unfamiliar with them and wanted to know more about from the entire war list in order. Right, and I misspoke with that when we were on Dustin May. I realized that after I said that. That's fine. I'm I'm partially just saying this now because the guy we're going to speak of Currently is .1 war, but because of his second game of the year in which he had two home runs and a single, he was a lot higher, and that is uh, Leury Garcia. So, being that he already dropped to, you know, a normal amount and currently has a WRC plus of 103 and not whatever it was earlier, I'd assume this guy isn't all that worth knowing and that he's just kind of, you know, a bench player. But, uh, you know, maybe you could provide me with a bit more education on him. No, that's a pretty fair assessment. I mean, 1,400 at-bats, almost, I guess he'd round up to 1,500 career at-bats that total in a career war of less than two, according to baseball reference. And not a guy that has really ever had too much success with his bat. But so far, He's three for 18, but two of those three hits were home runs. <laughs> so you, you'll, you'll take the value there where you can get it. He's kind of going for that 2020 Christian Yelich type stat line right now. <laughs> Not a guy that, like you said, is really too worth knowing. And uh, I'll say him on the list I guess the way to say it is that he's not going to be as memorable, per se, as a guy like Ramon Laureano or, or some of the other players we've talked about. Yeah, and he actually played two games yesterday night, so we were only working right, yeah. on that three-game sample in which he had that one good game and no hits beside it. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we saw the, the thing with him... Which also might be worth noting. Yeah, if you scroll, I'm not sure what page you're on, but if you if you look at all the positions he played last year, that's part of where his value yes, comes. Yes, I through. saw that. Left, uh-huh. center, right, Utility short, second, guy. third, DH, pinch hitter. Like I said, he's he's been around, and as a bench piece, he he does provide value in that kind of utility way. 
Yeah, but like many utility guys before him, he only has one season in eight of above average DEF. So, like, is he is he even a good defensive player or just a flexible one? He's a flexible one. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, not good. Yeah. And now, uh, yeah, now we head to our ninth pitcher. This was one of the names I knew I'd have trouble with. Matt Andres, Andriese, Andres. Uh, what's this name, and is he good? I feel like you know one of those is right, just by the way you said it. <laughs> I really don't. Well, it's not Andriese. Looking at him, yes, looking at him, I have said it's probably not Andriese. <laughs> no, it's it's Matt Andres, which you said right twice, and so I'll say that counts. One, it was an S, one, it was a Z. I didn't know this. <laughs> you can get away with either, I guess. <laughs> He's kind of been around the league a little bit. He's already on his third team. Started with the Rays, came up as a young enough pitcher and, and impressed to some extent early on. A guy that seemed like he would be a, like a three, a three-four guy in the rotation. Hasn't really had a solid, rock-solid season yet. Hasn't pitched over 120 innings. He's only even gotten past the 90 inning mark once in his career that's now six years long and a guy that once again the angels are kind of taking as a reclamation project because i'm not sure if you saw it but Shohei otani was very very poor in his first start of the season i did not see that that's disappointing didn't get a single guy. I feel out. like everyone <laughs> is rooting for Shohei Otani. So yes. the whole world will be disappointed if he screws up either in pitching and hitting. Yeah, he was visiting Oakland and gave up. I think he was charged with five urns, but he faced seven batters and they all reached base. Ah. <laughs> and that was happening since it was a West Coast game. It was happening at the same time the Jays game was in the ninth inning and Ken Giles was loading the bases, blowing the save, and getting pulled for an injury that the Jays would eventually lose. So my, my two games I had going on were just not very fun at all. But anyway, back to yep. back to injuries. A guy that's a lot of what I said about Dylan Bundy and even Chris Bassett can be taken over where he hasn't had the same success in the past as Bassett, but he represents the same type of opportunity where if injuries can be good, he can help this Angels team capitalize on an opportunity because they haven't been in the playoffs for so long and they haven't had any success in the playoffs for so long. This is probably the only season we see these expanded playoffs in play for baseball. And if you want to get back to the playoffs, the Angels really have to try and capitalize on 2020. Talked about the lineup that they have. That's a strength of theirs. Andres maybe potentially can help contribute with Dylan Bundy, with a couple others, to making that rotation at least league average. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because he's kind of, throughout his career, he's played, you know, he's started some games, he's been a reliever. Actually, his one game this year, he was a reliever, but pitched 5.2 innings. So, you know, maybe depending on how well he does, they might move him, I guess. That was probably, I would guess, the Otani game yeah. where he didn't get a single out. And then, because and if Andres pitched five and two thirds, I can pull it up quickly here. Yeah, it was. It was, he came in relief after Shohei Otani. So the, the all the puzzle pieces connect together nicely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure whether he does get a chance to start because obviously that is very impressive relief for a team against a lineup that was on and rocking Otani to come in and quiet them and shut them down is always difficult to do. 
But I guess uh, props to Andres for being able to do that. Yeah, certainly. And next we go to our 10th war guy, Jacoby Jones, who once again plays for the, the crappy Tigers, I believe. Is this a guy worth knowing? Because this is one of the guys who I probably... I, I don't even remember hearing his name. Straight up, I'll say no. <laughs> a guy that plays the outfield but doesn't really do it exceptionally well. It's not like he's a star in the field. Hasn't had much success at the plates. Now in his fifth year with the Tigers. Team that's not really going anywhere. He could turn things around. I mean, obviously, there's always a chance of that. Right now, it doesn't seem like he's going too far anywhere. On base percentage, career below 300s. Most interesting thing with him is probably that he just chooses to capitalize the C in Jacoby. You don't really see that very often. Yeah, I appreciate that for uh, syllabability. I don't know, whatever. Syllables. I was trying to, you know, try to find the word that... Syllability? Syllability, yes. It it is now. You're Shakespeare. (laughs) But yeah, that was my issue with Denelson. It's like the names I mentioned, most of them, you know, they have either an apostrophe or a capitalized middle letter, which kind of indicate that, you know, there's a syllable kind of emphasis coming to there, which I appreciate from Jacoby, but I feel like Jacoby, because of previous Jacobys in sports and I guess outside of sports, you know, you'd be able to know that either way. But, you know, still, uh, good on you for capitalizing the C, making it easier, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that his parents went to capitalize the C to make sure that, like, oh, their little boy wouldn't have people mispronouncing their name, you know. But then they give him the middle name of Mylon, or Mylan, or I'm not even sure where you go. I've never seen that name before in my whole life. I don't know about you. Let me check it out. Uh, but just the way you pronounced it first, it kind of reminds me of the old uh, Chappelle sketch where he plays a rapper named Dylon, and he goes, who are the five greatest rappers of all time? Dylon, 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 and Dylon. So, you know, <laughs> five greatest middle names of all time playing for the Detroit Tigers. Mylon, 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 Mylon. <laughs> Well, there you go. <laughs> I guess there's something there. Looking at it on Wikipedia, yes. That's a that's a solid name. I look forward to hopefully hearing that name in the future. Hopefully he pulls a Stanton and decides to go by that name instead of the one he's currently going by. <laughs> so the last pitcher that we're going to talk about is really the last player entirely. Speaking of good names, this one probably strikes fear in most of you know his hitters. Zach Godley. Powerful name, for sure. Is he a powerful pitcher? He's a strikeout pitcher, so that's good. I, I mean, I guess in terms of power, he's never really been able to get it done. He tried to get his stuff under control with Arizona, wasn't able to, and Arizona gave up on him last year. And the Jays picked him up for a bit, and they used him a little bit out of the pen, but we really didn't see all that much from him. He looked okay in his 16 innings of work, sub-4 ERA, like, n- not bad, I guess you'd say, but... Boston is really giving them a chance because Boston has, like, nobody left to pitch because they lost sale to Tommy John, traded away David Price. He ended up opting out, so that didn't even matter anyway. Then Eduardo Rodriguez, their opening day starter, was COVID positive, and now he has a heart condition that he contracted from COVID, which is scary stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's just a mess in terms of their starters. <laughs> Uh, so far, I would say be very cautious with Zach Godley because the walks have plagued him his whole career. He's been walking people like crazy, and 
I don't know if there's any signs he's going to turn it around. He pitched four scoreless innings with Boston, didn't allow a walk, which is huge, struck out seven batters, which has kind of been his M.O. throughout his career, but seven Ks and four innings is always impressive. But uh, I'm cautious before I would say I, I trust in Godley too much. Yeah, and fun fact, I believe the second guy here with a negative FIP of negative .48. And just looking back, despite that uh, crappy year last year, he did have a good year and a solid year before that. We're in 2018, 4.74 ERA, but uh, 3.82 FIP, 2.4 WAR. The year before that, very good, 337, 341 with a 3.5 WAR. And the reason that's so low as a starter is because he only played 26 games so yeah so maybe he turns it around but uh either way in 2016 the the last year i really started paying attention to things uh 0.1 war so i guess that's why i didn't really know him all too well yeah and a a 6.4 era in 2016 another 6.4 era in 2019 with the diamondbacks and then they they gave up on him which i i can understand yes certainly so uh we made it through all 20 we mentioned this before the podcast, so I thought I'd just bring it up. It doesn't look like my Yelich pick is going to go well. You, <laughs> you even referenced it in the whole thing, which sucks because, like, for two years in baseball, he was practically trout level. And now, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just a bad stretch, but it's not looking good. It's only five games, of course. Uh-huh. Five games is, yeah. is nothing in the course of a, a full season. Five games here, I mean... We basically did a full podcast about how it, how it's not uh, with, with the players we mentioned being top of the <laughs> yeah. charts and more. Yeah. Basically, all I'm saying is Christian Yelich is no Miguel Rojas. Uh-huh. <laughs> Rojas is clearly better. Yeah, this is... Uh, but, but in reality, tonight's game will be the sixth game of the season, so you hit the 10% mark. All sorts of time left to turn this season around. He did face some very tough pitching in Kyle Hendricks, who was dominant. Hugh Darvish, who was who's effective. And just just some, some difficult arms. John Lester is tough on lefties as well. You know, it's not the easiest matchups for him. I'm still confident he'll be okay. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. And even if, you know, the numbers show he had a bad season at the end of this season, it was only 60 games, so... It's kind of debatable yeah. if it's really indicative of much. And I think a lot of it in terms of how successful he'll be seen as will rest on whether he gets these Brewers back to playoffs or not because they were a fringe team the last couple of years, losing the wildcard game last year to the eventual World Series winners. But this year, it's disappointing. If you made it last year when there was only 10 teams in playoffs and you miss it this year when there's 16 teams in playoffs. Uh-huh, that's for sure. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I think that's it. I mean, are you going to be watching Nate Pearson pitching tonight? I will. I'm excited for it. Yeah, it should be good. All right, so thank you very much for listening to Outside Baseball. As always, my name is Seth Nevsky, and with me, Drew Frank. <laughs>